0: A warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our programme.
1: Britannia Podcast, a very British podcast, about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Welcome Scott here. It's the third in what we're calling Hammer Britannia. A Hammer retrospective which started with the Quatermass experiment, went on to X the Unknown, and by rights, well we don't know what the third one should have been because Stephen and Mark have been chatting with me. Hi guys, before we came on air. Hello. Okay. <laughs> Stephen, you there? Yep. Oh, sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just letting you talk, because no, you're better at it <laughs> We very nearly had a disaster, as is usual when the three of us get together, and we're talking less than sort of like 12 hours ago, while everybody's watching the movie. Stephen, what happened?
2: Well, I I got it wrong about which one we were all going to actually be talking about today. Um, <laughs> I... I thought it was perhaps the next one that we may be talking about, um, mm-hmm. who knows, um, somebody will have to remind me, but yes, um, I thought we were on uh, Curse of Frankenstein, and uh, I was uh, thankfully corrected by two people who know what they're doing, so I did watch the right film in the end, Um but Even thankfully. though the fact
1: Mark had actually sent a photo of him watching this movie the night before. <laughs>
2: I had, <laughs> but, I, but I'm not Hercule cool prior, so um, I didn't work that one out for myself, unfortunately. Yeah, I hadn't um, seen the
1: film, so I don't know what one he was watching. That's your excuse. But there were, I, I gave you a get-out-of-jail-free card this morning, didn't I, and explained that
2: there is a good you reason be for very the very kindly, in me? your usual way of actually being nice to people rather than taking the opportunity to <laughs> rip them apart like I do. Um <laughs> You did the opposite of what I would have done, characteristically, mm-hmm. and uh, you give me a get-out clause because of the release dates and and being different to the actual um, dates at which these films were actually made. Exactly. Um, yes. Does allow for some excuse to be made if I was going to fall back on that, but I'm an idiot. Let's um, just face it. That's, that's...
1: there is there is another reason. Mark, as we know, is the foremost quatermass experiment in the entire world, and. We thought we'd better. Um, bri-
3: I'm the Quatermass experiment. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, well, just the whole whole <laughs> Quatermass, the whole quater No, but you said I'm the Quatermass experiment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the. You meant expert,
1: right? Did I say experiment? Yeah. It's <laughs> the, ex- the, the foremost on it, as well as
2: the experiment, experiment on it. Um, I'll just leave it yeah, that. I think where you're going there, Scott, is that um, obviously this is going downhill we, fast. We need to we need to make sure that we you know get all the episodes um, about the mm-hmm. recorded as quickly as possible before the board <laughs> of our incompetence and decides to not come back.
1: You read my mind exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so welcome. So while we've got him, yeah, yeah. welcome
1: back, Mark, because. Mark has very kindly agreed to be part of the entire Hammer season until we all get fed up with the whole thing, but you know, we're we're moving into, well, it started off great and it's continuing great with with the next in series, which is Quite a Mass 2 also known as, what was the alternate title for this one, guys, in America? Uh, Enemy from Space Enemy from Space for the American audience Let's take a break, we'll be back after this And so we reach movie number 3 in our Hammer Horror retrospective and a welcome return for Brian Donlevy, for some, as Professor Quatermass. Quatermass 2, or Enemy from Space as it was known in the USA and Canada, was released in 1957 and is generally considered to be the first film sequel to use the suffix 2 within the title. Similar to the first movie in that its origins were a weekly BBC drama serial, This movie capitalises on the wave of alien body snatcher movies that have been popular in the US over recent years. Movies such as Invaders from Mars, It Came from Outer Space and of course Invasion of the Body Snatchers the year before. It features superb direction by Val Guest and stark black and white photography by Gerald Gibbs. A script by Nigel Neal, and a marvellous supporting cast including Sid James, Brian Forbes, and Hammer regular, the legendary Michael Ripper. This will be the first Hammer film for production designer Bernard Robinson, who'd then go on to become their regular set designer, eventually working on many Hammer productions. With a massive budget of £92,000, the movie took advantage of various filming locations, such as the real-life new town of Hemel Hempstead, under construction at the time, and doubling for the fictional town of Wynnerdon Flats. Police agreed to hold up traffic on Trafalgar Square in order for guests to film a shot of trucks ferrying equipment through the capital. And the scene where Quatermass first meets Vincent Broadhead was actually shot in the foyer of the House of Lords itself. Financially successful and with mixed reviews, the movie was overshadowed somewhat a few months later with the release of the next Hammer production. A movie that would dictate the future output of the studio almost and define it forever as the House of Horror. That is, of course, Curse of Frankenstein, starring Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, but more on that next time. Quatermass would return to the big screen, but that would not be for another 10 years, with Andrew Keir as the professor in Quatermass and the Pit. But for now, it's Brian Donlevy in Quatermass 2.
0: They're coming down by the hundreds. Get hall. Listen. Listen very carefully. If you ever hear a sound like this, run for your life. Run. Run before it is too late. For if you stay, you will lose your soul. Coming closer, closer, closer is an enemy from outer space. From out of this world it came, a horrifying terror that threatened mankind, haunting and possessing every human being within range, an indestructible danger beyond all earthly understanding. Vincent Broadhead is dead. Dead? I watched him die a few hours ago in that plant, his whole body covered with some kind of corrosive poisoning eaten away. It poisoned everything it touched. The mind and the body of man was no longer in his control. They ran from this unknown menace, but there was no escape. We're holding this block. We've got to. At least until the oxygen takes effect. What's in those domes, mister? Resistance must cease immediately. Yes, what is it? kill us. Inside those domes are creatures from outside this earth. Are you mad? I've seen them. Thousands of tiny creatures that can join together and expand into things a hundred feet high.
1: So that's quite a mess 2, and as I say, there was some, not confusion over the release dates, but this was actually released in the UK the 24th of May 1957, directed by Val Guest, making a return here, and it stars Brian Don Levy, Sidney James, William Franklin, Vera Day, Brian Forbes is there, Charles Lloyd Pack, Percy Herbert, no Jack Warden in this, he's been replaced. Michael Ripper, Hammer Stalwarts in there. The Duchess is in there. If those that don't know the Duchess, keep listening, we'll reveal all. The plot. Hold your breath, guys. It's another long plot here. So, while preparing for the launch of a new space rocket, Quatermass 2, Brian Donnev, uh, Quatermass 2. What am I talking about? I've just read the title out. Oh, that's so, the name of the um, rocket. The rocket's this, called Quatermass 2. This Mass is going two. well i'll start again the rocket's called quite a mess too did you know that yes yes, yes. so i'm not being stupid yeah.
3: i want to talk about the title in a bit but
1: okay yeah the rocket is also called quite a mess which too, I've, yes. I've just realized while i read that sentence while preparing for the
2: <laughs> tell you what matt do you want to just do this on your own and we'll oh, we'll come in back at the end ever
1: ever professional <laughs> While preparing for the launch of new space rocket Quatermass two, Professor Quatermass, Brian Don Levy, becomes intrigued by a curious phenomenon. The high incidence of meteorite falls over the Winnerton Flats region. However, these are not ordinary meteorites and at the flats, his assistant sorry, Quatermass's assistant Marsh, played by Brian Forbes, is injured when one of the objects cracks open, causing him to somehow become infected. Professor is unable to investigate further as Mars guards sees the stricken marsh take him to a highly secret complex nearby. The complex appears to be modelled after Quatermass's own design for a moon base. I'm not going to read any more of this because it will start giving few spoilers, but basically it turns out to be a house for um, alien life that is being secretly kept by the government. There's lots of conspiracies and stuff going on with this. Mark, can you give us a bit of the history of Quatermass 2, because again, it was another TV production, wasn't it, before Hammer?
3: Yeah, it was a TV production. Uh, now, the original Quatermass, and I've forgotten his name. That's really bad, isn't it? In the, in the original, died three weeks before it went. It was going to air. So they had to recruit someone quick to sort of take his place. And that was uh, John Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so it had a different Quatermass, which is kind of <laughs> what happens with Quatermass. He's got more faces than Dr. Umos. Um <laughs> Uh, And he's got, uh, and there's some a lot more plot elements. It's a six-part. It was a bit again you know, very, very popular on the TV. BBC production, 1955, coming out. I can't remember if it was just before or just after the movie of the first one had come okay. out. So it was right, you know, there was some sort of crossover of success between the movie of the first story, Quatermass Experiment, and the Quatermass 2 TV show showing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a sick part. There were there were several extra plot elements. For example, in, in the TV series, uh, Quatermass has got a, do- a daughter, uh, I've forgotten her name, uh, but she's played by a terrible actress. It's terrible, <laughs> uh, I've to say. But also in it is another doctor. Instead of uh, the sister Marsh, she's got uh, another doctor called Doctor Pew, who's like with him. Who's played by Hugh Griff- Griffith, ah. the great sort of Welsh yes. actor who won an Oscar for Planet Arab in. Ben-Hur, of all things. He did, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, the, the quite great massive daughter was called Paula, played by an actress called Monica Gray, mm-hmm. who felt like she was doing uh, stage acting from the 30s, frankly. <laughs> it was from another era. Her, her, her. But also Roger Delgado was in it as the reporter. Different name. Um, but Roger Delgado was the reporter that Quatermass enrolled to sort of try and make it public. Uh, played a much more serious and straight role, but Roger Delgado went on to play the master yes, in read this this morning. Doctor Who, mm. the Pertwee era, mostly. But uh, but also like f- people like Wilfred Bramble turned up as an, an old Irish tramp ah. who told Quatermass all about what had been going on. It was a really, really good segment of that show, actually, uh, where, when he did that. And there was... And and the where the... F- don't want to get into too much but when this film ends there's an extra episode tagged on <laughs> in the tv show of a whole extra thing which is quite amazing we'll talk um, about
1: the ending because the ending is completely yes, different yes. to the ending of this movie yeah. isn't it in the tv yeah. version yeah yeah
3: yeah so um i mean this all i'm um, winnerton flats interested in because it kind of is a bit of Winscow, the first nuclear oh, reactor gosh. or an early nuclear reactor in britain and a mix of port and down which like is same. was famous for biological warfare and everyone was like it's a bit like area 50 51 is talked about now right portland down it's kind of mm, what's going on there <laughs> um and it kind of got conflated into Winterton flat so yeah this is this is this you know with the success of the movie they they've got the rights to this and they also fortunately got nigel neal on the writing team for this one too he could not have anything to do with the first one because of being under contract with bbc but i mean given the success the bbc we don't want to rein this guy in or whatever it was he got involved in the writing so val guest and nigel neal were involved in the writing the script of the second movie so while we hear about Nigel Neil being Totally enraged about Brian Don Levy playing Quatermass uh, and the way he played him. He actually had some input into this one, and we kind of see it. Uh, Quatermass's character is slightly different, slightly different. Yes. In
1: this. yeah, um, a bit more subdued in a, this one, isn't he?
3: Yeah, yeah, he's not as, uh, he's less fun in my opinion, actually. But he's still driven, but he's not completely sort of monomaniacal about it. Okay. And I think some of his harsher aspects got transferred to the Lomax character in this one somewhat. <laughs> because Lomax becomes much more hard-headed kind of character in this one than the first one but it's a very get on with business kind of film isn't it it's, it's got a real drive to it this film
1: there's some real sort of conspiracy elements to this one as, as well as the science fiction stuff and the uh, yeah and the,
3: and I, I just, I just want to have a note about the title quite a mass 2 obviously the name of the rocket quite mass 2 but the film's called quite mass 2 f- f- one of the first films sequels ever to have two in the title uh the only one i found before it and i did try, try and find other examples yeah. uh, and of course there were series of films you know like sherlock holmes and, and the universal horrors and the Thin Man and stuff like that but they didn't use two in the title no. the The only, the, the only earlier one I could find was uh, there's a few black and white films where it was one long film but they cut it into two parts so they would call it so and so part two uh, for example I think there was an Ivan the Terrible part two <laughs> yeah. in 1920 something but Quite a Mass 2 is like the first sequel with a two in the title it's the first uh, to
1: have an Arabic two rather than a Roman numeral two I think I read That one I don't know. Yeah, Ivan the Terrible may have had like a Roman numeral too, but this is the first one. Stephen, you've read that as well, you say? Yeah, that it's yeah, yeah. It's the the oh sorry, you
3: said Arabic. I was confused there. Um, Yeah, um, yeah. Sometimes it's written as a Roman numeral. Sometimes it's written that way. Sometimes it's written as two. But the rocket is called. Two, t- you know the the new, the number we the know. Number two. Uh, yeah. So uh, and I think this is named after the rocket somewhat as well. So uh, it's kind of an interesting choice, right? It
1: is. It's it's the first of many things. This, as we say, it's mm. it, it's the beginning of the Hammer Horrors as we know it. We're still in the early stages. The American influence is still there because of the the money. The money situation is quite quite unique on this as well, isn't it? I think the backing. I think we may have to touch on that at some point as well, Stephen when we spoke last time we weren't too sure if we'd seen this i know for a fact well i thought i hadn't but i checked on Letterbox. i've seen it in the last eight years and i can remember nothing about it absolutely nothing
2: well that's age for you yes <laughs> um <coughs> age creeping on Isn't it? Isn't yeah it? <laughs> um no when i when i watched it uh the correct film last night um <laughs> it's um there was a, a few a few bits of it that seem to feel familiar but um i'm pretty sure i have not watched the whole thing in its entirety at any point so um this was effectively a first time watch for me mm.
3: we- one thing i will say about the film is i think it's the one that has permeated the zeitgeist the most
4: yeah.
3: uh, in terms of influence and so on it really you know if you watch for example dot Who spearhead from space Yes. It's pretty much ripping this off. um For example, but if you look at the entire like X Files canon, or you know the whole any alien pro you know, things about aliens on the TV doc, I'll put in sort of inverted commas documentaries. It's all about aliens coming in, and there's all in many many films. There's like aliens are taking over humans, and You know, or or they somehow in league with the powers that be. Uh,
1: It's all in this film. It's all in this film. There's a real element of body snatchers as well in this.
3: Body snatchers, invaders from Mars. I mean, I I won't dismiss the America elements. Uh, Invaders from Mars and body snatchers did it before this. Mm. Uh, But there was definitely something there. This is a particularly British spin on that idea. But, uh, so it isn't unique. This isn't the first. Body Snatchers was written before this. The book of Body Snatchers yeah. was written before this. I think the film came out too. And there was also the more kiddie-friendly Invaders from Mars, which did the same that's premise. Right, that's right. Um, you mentioned
1: yeah. um, Spearhead from Space. I thought Auton Invasion, the, the second one, the one where the master first appears. And also... Spearheads from space has the rocks coming down doesn't it yeah it's the first the one of the autons isn't it up. where they uh, take over yeah, the mannequins yeah it's the first auton adventure yeah but also I thought as well with the setting which was a shell um, refinery wasn't it I think this, this whole thing was set on it, it. Rested, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a bit like the perk we won Inferno where yes. it was set on the uh, in the secret establishment anyway we always end up talking about doctor who us three when we get together <laughs> <which> is... <laughs> well there's a reason right <laughs> yeah, we, we love it we absolutely love it um there was a pre-credit sequence that took me a bit by surprise I want to
3: come on to, you jumped yeah to, yeah i was yeah a very early example of a pre credit sequence right
2: yeah the cold open like mm. that was um you know very innovative or or you know um something that, that you know i can't think how common that was encountered no, no. previously it wasn't i
3: mean stories. i mean james bond i think popularized it uh you know made it a much more mainstream of cinema but yeah. um um but i can't think of a single film with a pre-credit sequence before this one they probably are
1: you know, probably, probably loads didn't of innovate, them, but yeah. I can't think of any. <laughs> yeah, probably loads, but we can't think of any at all. But yeah, that sort of took me uh, a little bit by surprise because the copy I was watching, I'm thinking, "Hello, have I missed something?" Um, but yeah, then I wasn't let down, thank God. Um, great because it introduces. Think about, I think Night of
3: the Demon from the same year also has a pre-credit sequence. I could be wrong, but I got a feeling Ooh,
1: that. Oh, now you're talking! Sequencer. Now you're talking because there's that bit in the yeah with the um, going through the trees, yeah. Yes. Oh, we'll have to have a look. We'll have to have a look. We'll be reviewing that soon anyway, guys, at some point. So, Brian Don Levy, I'm going to turn to Stephen first because Mark has obviously got a huge invested interest in Quatermass and the whole of the series and these different incarnations and stuff like that. For, for Stephen and I that aren't that familiar and... You know, we, we we don't know the TV... Sorry, just going back, the TV series, before we do, do touch on Brian dollevy's portrayal, are there any um, episodes surviving of Quake Mass 2 on the TV series? Because there was only two of the first uh, one you told us, wasn't yeah.
3: there? Yeah. I think I have all of them, or most of them. I'm trying to remember. I mm-hmm. have got it on, on DVD somewhere. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, it's kind of interesting because it was written as they went, and, 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 and it's an interesting watch because... The new John Robinson is very unconfident in the first episode, and you right. think, "Oh man, this is going to suck." But he actually really improves okay. um, dr- dramatically. Okay. Um, uh, and I think, so, and I know, I you know, I saw the performance, so I know there's a lot of episodes. I'm just having a look, um, but I think most of them,
1: because the other lot weren't even recorded, were they? They went out live. It wasn't the fact of them being wiped, was it? In the first series, it was the fact that they just weren't recorded.
3: They just weren't recorded. Yeah. Well, they were, a couple were recorded because yeah. they wanted to use them for recap, but they decided to not bother. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, they all survive. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. And interestingly, when it was on the BBC, it was the Roman numeral. There you go, and also I've just yes. seen a
1: poster as well. It's got the Roman numeral on it as well with the X certificate. So, certain publicity material must have had like the number two at some point. That's yeah. yeah. Sorry, going back to what I was saying, Stephen Brian Don Levy. Obviously, we we only really know him from the you know the first Quatermass movie, don't we, mate? I mean, how did you feel he, he sort of transitioned into this one? Was it was he different to your eyes? Because he's obviously you know Mark's fully aware of the character development. I mean, did did Bernard Quatermass come across as a completely different character in this
2: to you? Not completely different, but he was certainly less caricature. I think in in the um, Quatermass experiment, I think uh, he was playing a a more exaggerated uh, version, and whether that was to do with direction or or acting or, or because they were trying to establish the character or whether it was more befitting for the film at the time I don't know but certainly this feels like a progression from that to him being more a bit more considered and and less certainly there's a there's a change in him as a character with regards to him being less at ease with the human cost you know I think was something we mentioned about um, when we did Creative Experiment about how he wasn't as concerned about what was happening to people was more concerned about the science whereas um, in this, he, he does seem to be having more more of a view towards the the people who were impacted by it, the villagers or yes. um, his assistants and stuff, and he's almost switched over to the other side of the argument with regard to science versus uh, human um, beings. I think there there is a progression. I think it's it works better. I don't think that the previous incarnation been so caricature. Although it worked for the Quatermass experiment, I don't think it would have worked as well for this storyline because this one was a bit more, a bit more layered and a yeah. bit more expansive. Really, there was a different touch to this one than there was um, the, the initial just sort of sort of shock of the first one. This one's got a bit more to it.
1: Yeah, I think Mark will probably agree. I mean, after the initial scene uh, where he goes. To his own lab, and he's barking orders at the guys. Isn't he there? He's he's sort of saying that like he's threatened to fire a couple of them for something they they they've done or haven't done. He t- he seems to calm down a little after that and becomes more, as you said, Stephen, concerned with the human aspect of what's you know the effect of what's happening going on here, and and arguing with a lot of officials uh, and taking on the establishment in this one.
2: Yeah, and that's what it's about, I think. Yeah, the the, the changeover. I don't want to keep going about the TV series, because this is a film,
3: this, you yeah. know, and so on. But in the TV series, it's much more clear that the, what happened in the first uh, thing with Quatermass uh, has, has changed his character somewhat. He's a much more doubting himself kind of character. Uh, and 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 I think Nigel Neil's influence in the movie too, so, you know, he Brandon Levy's portrayal in the first movie was really not like... Uh, the create in the TV show exactly, This one, yeah. he's much more so, uh, and um, yeah, he's barking orders, but he's doing it because the radar's pointing the wrong way because they're like tracking the ra- the meteors rather than getting on with the space the space That's stuff right. he wanted yeah. them to be thinking. But he kind he kind of calms down quickly and wants to figure out what's going on, doesn't he? Yeah. So I think Nigel Neal's influence, you know, the direct influence on the script uh, softened his character somewhat too. Um, but it doesn't come across in this film. But I think there's also the what happened in the first one may have um, planted some seeds of doubt. Plus, also being told by the ministry his project is cancelled has yes. got to have knocked the wind out of his sails somewhat too. Exactly. Um, but that's not really surfaced in the script, is it? No, not at all.
1: No, at all. So we meet we've got Brian Forbes in this one. William Franklin as his two assistants, and off they go to investigate. That these meteorites that are landing in one particular place. Now this w- was very Doctor Who, you know, a meteorite landing and somebody finding it and, you know, the after effects of what goes on here. I liked this scene. I like this whole, because at the moment we don't know what's going on. We're as much in the dark as everybody else in, at this point. Um, and it becomes really creepy. At this point, because one of the meteorites opens, a, a, a gas comes out of it, and it attaches itself to Brian Don Levy's face. Um, no, Marsh's face. Marsh's face. Did I say yeah. Brian Don Levy? Sorry, Marsh. Yeah. Brian Forbes's face, not Brian Don Levy. Yeah. And uh, where does he go? He goes to see Inspector Lomax, doesn't he, to try and investigate because he finds well, out. Well, the there's guards a...
3: drag him, drag Marsh away, don't they? So it's
1: like
2: <laughs> yeah. we... And he uh, goes to the and, village.
3: And, and then, but Quite a mass, great
1: a mass. These guards turn up in these very ill-fitting helmets. The, the, what were they wearing on their head? I was trying to work out what they'd used to make the props for all of these helmets. It looked like a pudding <laughs> bowl that they'd painted or something. I say, isn't it what
2: used to be referred to um, in, in motorcycle uh, terms as piss-pots?
1: Helmets, <laughs> it is, but
3: it's they even were. they were TT helmets, weren't they?
1: They just looked like they didn't fit at all. And uh, yeah, very And these guys have all got the marks on them as well, so there's this element, as we said here, of like the body snatchers' um influence where people have been taken over. Inspector Lomax yeah. has changed, it yes. was Jack Warner. and Mark, you mentioned that Lomax's character has changed between the first and the second movie. Jack Warner's portrayal was more that sort of cheeky copper, wasn't it?
3: The... Yeah. It's more I like a friendly uncle, you know, friendly copper one. This one's feel few... He looks quite similar. It's mm. Longdon, isn't it? John Longdon. Yeah. He looks quite similar, but he plays it a little more hard-nosed.
1: Yeah. Stephen, um, you, you're a big fan of Jack Warner, aren't you? you, you you've seen a few movies, same as I. Oh, you? yes, yes, yes.
2: Sorry. Always a, a, a comforting policeman um, in everything. Even when he's not playing a policeman, he's still a policeman. Um, he's still a policeman playing somebody else. And yeah, the I, I think it'd be difficult to have had Jack Warner play Lomax in the style that it was done, and it's because it wouldn't quite fit with what we're used to seeing him do, really, and being a bit more of the the, the officious, um, yeah. sort of hard edge type. Yeah,
1: Because, you know, as, as soon as we meet Lomax, we we start getting this feeling of conspiracy and government cover-up, or not necessarily government cover-up, because, you know, we've got an MP that's trying to infiltrate, you know, and get a visit into this complex and find out what's going on, and he's been trying for three months, and, you know, there's just this feeling of everything's shut down and, you know, th- there's no way into what's going on here. And and Quatermass tries to use Lomax to try and see if there's a legal way of getting around this, you know, and and you get this general feeling of something a bit like do you remember Edge of Darkness, the BBC show where it's all this big sort of like government covering up industry sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, that was another you know another feeling I got there that that was you know certainly evident. Um, and later on, you know, when we see the posters on the wall about keeping quiet and stuff, we'll get into this in a second. But that was that was real nineteen eighty four stuff as well. There is so much in this movie for something that's like like less than ninety minutes long. There's a lot going on here. I, I I really enjoyed this one.
3: Like like I say, this kind of this whole distrust of government and are they in conspiracy with something or someone against us really? Uh, sort of ha- had its seeds in the fifties, uh, and this was one of the key British ones, really. And uh, uh, I think I mentioned on the last one, um, uh, the X the Unknown episode, we mm. talk about the works of Ah um, uh, John Wyndham, yes, uh, sort of precipitating that too. Um, uh, and and it's all here and like unfortunately governments have kind of confirmed this over the years haven't they they've kind of oh yeah they've been doing this they've been doing okay (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that's kind of how it's gone um it's almost like yeah we knew what was coming here it is is an early draft of what we know will happen in the future (laughs) there was a bit of that (laughs) that's right am i
1: I right in thinking nigel neal had a, a hand in the adaptation of the bbc 1984 A couple of years before. Yes, he wrote it. He wrote it. There we go.
3: Yeah. yeah. So there were two famous for having two performances, but the second with Peter Cushing. Uh, And the second one was the only one that was recorded, but Peter Cushing was always of the opinion the first one was the better version. Ah, right. Which is a shame. We'll never know, but. uh, the first, second one's a great version too. I've seen it; it's good. It's I've, really I've good.
1: seen that. Yeah, it's, it's really great. It's a classic bit of TV from an era where not a lot survives, unfortunately, from the from the archives. You start getting the feeling because at the moment the alien sort of influence and and the horror influence isn't really at the forefront at the moment. As this, I'm as soon as we get to this point with Lomax and the MP, I'm not saying that there's a a, a change in. In shift here but i think the focus is more on this sort of conspiracy and the mystery whereas pretty much from the offset in the first one it was the the cactuses the mutation the the horror side of things had really sort of kicked in at this point whereas we're going down a slightly different route in this one
3: well it's a building of of this trust right because he tells lomax but lomax knows quite and he knows he's no idiot mm. but he's not sure and he goes and talks to his superior and he sees the mark the v-shaped mark on the man's hand and quickly changes the subject but you know his fear what quote quite described to him you know he said there was a mark on the pod and he comes back to quite and says describe the mark and it's exactly what he saw the right v-shaped so mark. at that point lomax is Okay, there is something going on. Yeah. Uh, so that's where it kind of shifts, I think, in terms of being about these few people that know about it to more and more people knowing about it as we
2: go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and as in as in life, you know, you should always avoid Marx. Um, <laughs> so, um, but no, it's absolutely it starts to give that more foreboding of of there mm. being a, a wider conspiracy, which the first one was was a singular entity to be fought against. This is is that suddenly there's you're not safe around anybody um to the extent where now that they're, they're talking about you know plan b's where they're only you know they're going to only discuss that in uh, with individuals and not with you know with everybody who's in the room because then if something happens that that still have that plan b on the table it certainly does does change the the focus of it all and, and actually you know it obviously expands it and makes it it, it better but yeah you, you've you know, then you bring in, bring in uh, drunks to gems. So hey, um. <laughs> yeah.
3: I what I would I just want to go back to the pre credit <laughs> sequence, right? Because yeah. that essentially sets up the mood really well. The music's really great. It's jive straight Stuff happens. Quite a mass happens to be driving past when this, <laughs> you know, they encounter this couple. Never mention again. You could totally take out that pretty credit That's true. It It would not affect anything. Quiet Mass never even says, oh, yeah, I've seen this already. He, He kind of it's almost like i don't know i've always wondered if it was tagged on the front but in a really effective way but if you actually i've seen the film several times and that free credit credits has no bearing on anything there was um, covered a and set those characters taxes, don't reappear well. do they you no. see that's the no 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 but it, 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 it sets the it sets the tone really well with the music and and the sort of driving what's going on uh and then the you know we get the credit sequence but it has no bearing but it sets up the mood quite well but then it's all about just quite a mass knowing about it and now like low max knows about it at this point and and so on
1: there was a couple of cut scenes apparently including one where you see the guards shooting down a family that are having a picnic in the woods nearby apparently was cut that's didn't... a bit strong isn't it censors yeah. Yeah. <laughs> didn't like it even though this got an X certificate that was cut and also talking of alternate versions did you read about the continental version as it was billed no, no. you're oh. not teaching me something <laughs> here <laughs> you, oh, come on. <laughs> educate us ok there was scenes filmed apparently or definitely written that was described as the continental version Now, back in the 50s as is well known you know our friends on the continent were a bit more open to a bit of nudity and a bit more sauciness in their movies. You know they weren't too bothered about that sort of thing. And they made the scenes with Vera Day in the bar, blatantly sexy, to the point where Nigel Neal said, "This is totally unrealistic, she wouldn't have we wouldn't have a topless barmaid in this country. Now, I don't know what was filmed. I don't know what was written on the page. But that's what I read somewhere earlier this morning, that there was plans or it was definitely filmed, that there was an alternate version of that whole bar scene with Vera Day being a lot more sexy and voluptuous in it to the point that she's almost
2: semi naked.
3: Yeah, that would not have worked at all.
1: <laughs> that would that's
2: ridiculous. Isn't it? That's taking you know, the element of having Sid James in it too far, really. <laughs> sid um, james
1: sorry boy you're talking about sid james mate what accent was that <laughs> i
2: don't know yeah <laughs> Sean I don't know. was School he trying accents? to do weird i yeah. can't
3: work out if it's like an american i don't know yeah
2: gets... he's done it in a number of films around this era where he was he was playing a a, a faux american yes um that i've had a, a few times and sometimes it works better than others oh, um, yes. in this one um, i'm wondering how Um, Don Levy, uh, he actually viewed it because, you know, obviously somebody trying, when you're an American and somebody's doing an American accent or like when people do Irish accents and you're you're already Irish, (laughs) you you tend to pick up on it more and find it more grating than somebody who's not American. So I wonder how he uh, might have uh, have viewed it. But yeah, I don't think it it quite worked. I mean, maybe he should have just stuck to his, his native South African something you well,
1: know would, would Don Levy have taken offence more at the fact that he was portraying an American with a bad accent or he was portraying a drunk badly because Don Levy was better at both of those <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> I honestly don't understand why he was a drunk. I presume for comic effect, but yeah, you know,
1: because there's no reason for it. Because they said he's, he's good when no he's drunk, but when he's sober, it. he's brilliant. They said, didn't they? Something at one point, yeah.
3: Said, that might be the only thing, like, you know, why are we dealing with this drunk guy? And it's because we need this guy, he knows what he's talking about. Uh, but talk yeah, about, yeah, there is exactly that line, as you say,
1: yeah. Can we take a short pause here, guys? Because I think before we go into sort of the second half of the movie we, we need to take a visit to the hall of fame and a new addition to our program which is it's going to be the hammer hall of fame or the crypt of what was it guys the crypt of celebrity what we call it celebrity that's we, awful
2: we stupidly suggested which was awful <laughs> uh, but so. we've
1: now done three movies so there is the potential now that somebody can be inducted into our hammer horror hall of fame try saying that with your mouth shut Right here we go. Get the keys, Stephen. We we'll have to get another set of keys made up. Let's have a look and see who's in the hall of three.
2: Yes, we have uh, two people who are, uh, are making their second appearances. Betty Impey or Impey, I'm not sure how that's pronounced. She was in The, the Quartermaster Experiment previously, obviously uh, more of a background character. Yep. And then we also had Michael Ripper, who was previously in X The Unknown. Yep. Well, obviously we'll be seeing a lot more of him in future um, when we go through more. the Hammer Horrors, mm-hmm. um, because he's a, a, definitely a mainstay, yes. uh, and delightfully so. so that's very good that we've we've got those making their second appearances mm-hmm. so soon into the Hammer series. We do actually have two people making their third appearances though. Brilliant! Wow. This is this. Uh, I
1: totally missed this. <laughs> I'm we know what one of them is because Mark Mark already sort of
2: presumed on one of them a couple of yes. episodes ago. So so um, the one that might not be present in people's mind uh, is a, a lady called Jane Ed. Oh
1: right, okay. This is the one I didn't know. Okay, she yeah. was, she was Mrs. So McLeod she's a in this. She's, she's a,
2: um, yeah, in the background. And then the more obvious one um, is um, James Bernard with the scar. Yeah, we thought so, James Bernard
1: um, would be the first inductee. We weren't expecting
2: two. Yes, well, never was high, to be fair. So, you know, that's quite marvellous that the, you know, three <laughs> free in, um, we've managed to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could get two people sat there. It's nice that they've got some company in there as well rather than just somebody on their own. Like, sitting in a crypt on your own might not be the best. Of, of <laughs> it
1: makes a lot of sense that there are some people reappearing because being directed by Val Guest, you know, he, he probably got a few actors that he relies on in his productions because Jane Eyre would go on to appear in The Day the Earth Caught Fire, which was one of his movies as well.
2: Well, yeah. In fairness, you know Val Guest—it's his second uh, appearance himself because of obviously doing the the, the mass um, experiments.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's incredible that we've got two inductees after three movies.
2: Yeah. So
1: um, well, I've got a funny which, feeling your work's going to be just as <laughs> just as cut out with this lot as it is with the normal Hall of Fame. Thing. Well,
2: yeah. Well, the normal Hall of Fame is a completely different kettle of fish when it comes to um, you know. Uh, And certainly when it comes to to Mouse, I mean, you know, just for example, there have been 11 second appearances, 8 third appearances, um, 8 fourth appearances, 3 fifth appearances, 3 sixth appearances, a 7, an 8, a 9 and a 13. Right. (laughs) So...
1: It's entirely up to you, where you want to do this, my friend, but I would probably focus on the bigger numbers of
4: this one. Yeah.
2: Um, so, ignoring the second appearance, people just, you know, mention the people who are doing the third, Third, who are finally getting in. Yes, Obviously, please. we've mentioned yeah. Jane Ed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Brace, who is in uh, Night to Remember and Goldfinger. Daniel Brown in Lavender Hill Mob and Gideon's Day. Gilbert Davis, who is in Passport to Coat and Always Rains on a Sunday. Brian Forbes. Um, oh. Who was in Legal Gentleman and in Restless Natives? Yes. Uh, which is more recently. Um, Percy Herbert, One Good Turn oh, and Billy Laker's is Missing. Edwin Richfield, uh, The Damn Busters and X the Unknown. Yeah. And Brian Neal, obviously, he'd previously been involved um, in X the Unknown and he was also involved in Look Back in Anger. Wow, hmm. that's a lot. Right in that. So yes, fourth appearances and et cetera, but we'll um, we'll skip over them a bit and, and go to some of the, the bigger hitters then um, that we've got. Now, George Hilsden, we've mentioned before, he's on his eighth appearance, so he's, he's again, another background character who, who is he? We've seen him in the, you know, uh, same with ninth appearance for Jim O'Brady. Jim, yeah. you're
1: making these up, surely. Yeah,
2: well, one that I'm not making up is the 13th appearance, and I think we all know who she is. Is it yes. the 13th? It's the Duchess. The, the Duchess. Yeah. So, you know, we can't go you know, without mentioning her, thankfully. Oh, so, yeah, And there she is in, in all of her glory and, and um, Brilliant. absolutely always welcome to see her.
1: 13 appearances in just over 100 movies. That's a great batting average.
2: It is, and I'm just waiting for it to be in some Bond films and uh, uh, carry on. Yeah. And stuff, I have to yeah.
3: say, this watch, I hadn't noticed it was Marianne Stone, but as soon as she came on the screen, I thought, that's Marianne Stone. <laughs> I was quite excited. That's what we do. Yeah. You, you've got into territory. The <laughs>
2: there's, there's people like her now that previously you you, you glanced over, now you, you, you watch yeah. and now you're watching Talking Pictures TV, and, and you start spotting them. Um, to the point where you know I take photographs sometimes <laughs> of the TV screen I, and send, send it through to Scott and say, Marianne Stone.
1: I very nearly did that last night. I'll just briefly mention to you guys before we turned on the mics. Uh, immediately after watching this last night, I was in a bit of a Sid James mood because obviously he's, he's in this movie. And I watched an old episode of Bless This House and Marianne Stone was in it. Yeah, and I nearly took a photo of the screen to send it to Stephen with, oh my God, you're not going to believe this! He's, he's I'll the, send it to me too. You know, I would have done a, well, we've got a little WhatsApp group, <laughs> haven't we? It's just—it's just the coincidences like this happen quite often, because of who are the who are the top of the tree now, mate, in the Hall of Fame? She must be second or third, I'm assuming.
2: Oh yeah, well, I mean, obviously, we, we've you know still got Victor Harrington up there, you know, with um twelve so oh, um, she's uh, i think it. she's she's actually leapfrogged him as far as i know i don't think there's anybody who's actually um on more than 13 and i think um, and
3: yeah standing. i was gonna say barry must be drawing or improving yeah. with this it, one film
2: right? well i think yeah we're thinking this one she's she's let it into the league <laughs> because um,
1: it was there was guy standing it, even and cyril um, chamberlain yeah. is on
2: 13 himself as well so there's two of them she's the lead female wise wow and, but um, yeah, I mean, you you mentioning Guy Standeven, he's absolutely up, up there um, with 12 himself. But so he needs to make another appearance to catch up with Cyril Chamberlain. But it's just shocking um, <laughs> how how you know how they keep leapfrogging each other and and getting up there. And unfortunately, you know, we're we're still that the, the Hickson has still got a little way to go to catch up with uh, Marianne Stone because she's only on nine at the moment.
3: There was one actor in this, I don't think you mentioned, but I was kind of like, oh my god, yeah, that's him. Uh, and I think I must have spotted before and just forgotten. It's the guy that played the policeman, uh, the inspector. Uh, he's from the St Trinian's
1: we films.
3: Uh, he's Grenf- the one who's always putting Joyce Grenfell off um <laughs> lloyd Lamley, i think is how his Lloyd
2: name yeah uh, yeah he's yeah, got his
3: uh but i wonder if he's a uh like um you know an eternal policeman as well uh oh. in his career <laughs> it's just interesting to see him as a policeman in this as well
2: he's had five appearances on, on oh. tenure, like overall Okay, oh um, oh, yeah. wow. this but yes he was centurion uh, is what i recognize him was coming from but yes he's had five uh, as as lloyd
3: and uh, Percy Herbert was interesting to see because he does. Like I, uh, I think I mentioned off fair I saw him recently in another Hammerfield, which was One Million Years B.C. Which I, ah. was, so I was quite surprised that I didn't realize because I thought he'd only ever been. I know he was in a couple of Hammers. I I've forgotten he was in this uh, as the like the annoyed. Going to bar you know that yeah. uh she, a beer a day has to calm down a bit
1: we'll we'll see him in carry on jack later he was in mutiny on the bounty Stephen, wasn't he i think percy herbert i think was one of the last yeah games, i maybe.
2: think if you look on um imdb i think his main photo is him leaning on the uh, the, the side of the ship um over the water in from Mutiny and the Bounty. Or it could be fine. Carry On
1: Jack. Who
2: yeah,
3: <laughs> he turned up in a lot of like British war films or films about soldiers. Uh, oh. I, I know, for example, he was in... Uh, what was it? Bridge on the River Quiet. As a certain character name and the same character... Uh, the, sorry, he turned up with the same name. I don't know if it's the same character. Probably not. In uh, Guns of the Navarone. Uh,
1: Grogan. Uh, Sergeant Grogan. Grogan. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, which was always... It. I always wondered... Absolutely brilliant! Thank you for doing that, Stephen. Again, you had your work cut out. I don't think there's going to be as many for Curse of Frankenstein. Skimming quickly down the list, you'll you'll have a few to talk it, about, but not as many. Yeah,
2: I think what it does is Curse of Frankenstein sort of starts, and it's the first appearance for a number of people that will reappear, yeah. but um, none of the ones that have previously appeared uh, in in the ones we've watched already. It's almost like two separate, you know.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think only the music is the connection. I think James Bernard's good. It's good. yep Curse of Frankenstein. But other than that, it's all good. But we're seeing a lot of people that will be eventually right at the top of the hall of uh, sorry the crypto fame. Uh,
1: you know,
2: Terence Fisher. Do you know and, what? We've, we've all strong. got
1: we all got different names for this. We don't care. We we'll just we we'll just make it we we'll just make it up as we go along. Yes, yeah, Michael Ripper. It's a matter
2: of time, isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. If he's, if he's not in on the, the next um hammer episode that we do it will be the one after then i would expect because you know he's he suddenly starts being a, a frequent um
1: is he in the hall of fame itself no I so he's only had, he... he's only had these two appearances we haven't seen him in anything else. Wow, I didn't realise that.
3: There's okay. got to be a special Venn diagram where someone in our Crypt of but not in our Hall oh, of Fame. Oh no, Michael
2: Whippy, yes, he's had four appearances okay. of in total, yes. <laughs> Sorry, um, I, did, uh, I got that misremembered. So he's in a Prize of Arms previously, uh-huh. which is uh, uh, Did you his he... remembering.
1: In this again, um, again playing a barman or somebody because in the in the Gothic Hammers, he's always like um, if he's not a coachman, he, he, he's in a tavern or an inn or something again behind yeah. a, behind the bar in this one again.
2: So he was also in Yields of the Night.
1: Oh, the Dinosaurs. Yes,
3: okay. interestingly, he's also in the first Michael Caine movie, Hill and Korea, uh, and of course, Michael Caine has just announced his retirement, uh, so it's going uh. to be interesting. <laughs> Uh, And in that, he plays a private moon and he plays a a Native American in another movie called Moon. Really? As well, it's (laughs) kind of weird. (laughs) All these links that we're finding. Yeah, it's called Captain Apache. (laughs) Don't ask. Is that
1: that a British Western? (laughs) Spanish-British. Oh, right, okay. Because we we said when we first started Real Britannia that one of the genres we don't think we'll touch upon very often would be the Westerns. You know, well
3: it's it's carry on cowboy and shalacco isn't it that's it Shil- oh I forgot about shalacco
2: sheriff of fractured jaw yeah, I was
3: just saying the, the uh, oh. um, thing uh, what's, oh, what's his name the
1: reach for yes, the sky no. guy that's, yeah it's him sheriff of fractured jaw with I know I yeah. uh, I'll tell you what we'll do Stephen thank you so much for the hall of fame as I said While we're in the in the mood for doing some of these new sort of features and things that we do as an offshoot of the of the show, <laughs> get your bingo cards out. <laughs> <licks>. <laughs> Here it's, we go. It's Bob's for House of Horror. <laughs> um. OK, guys, it's the return of Bob's Full Wall- Hat. I quite enjoy this because... Because
2: you're an idiot, same as the rest of us. Exactly. Yeah. We, we like stupid stuff.
1: Now, we've swapped the bingo cards around for this week, so uh, let me see. Stephen, you have got card one, Mark has got card two, and I have got card number three. Let's start with yours, Stephen. Do you want to read out what's on your bingo card and we'll tell you if we we'll cross
2: it off or not? Right here. Right, well, the first one uh, on my bingo account is Pitchfork Villager.
1: I'm going to say so, yes, Mark, that's definite, isn't it?
2: They, they didn't have
3: Pitchfork, yeah, but it was... this is the sci-fi equivalent of a torch-wielding, <laughs> Pitchfork-holding mob, isn't it, really? <laughs> so, yes, one yes, of one them had an
1: axe, you know, that counts. It's the, the fir- I laughed when I saw that happening. I thought, oh, my God, it's, it's Frankenstein all over again.
2: Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. We'll give you that one. Um, the second one is Michael Whipper. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Two, yeah. wow. And then uh, Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist, Mark.
1: Well, he's, he's livid. <laughs> he's not. He's, <laughs> yeah, a, he's a bit angry. <laughs> he, ain't, he ain't happy <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, he ain't happy. No.
1: Um, were there any other scientists on on sort of like the opposing side that we saw that were a bit mad? Nah, nah, there wasn't. Nah. No. <laughs> Yeah, monsters oh, yeah, oh, yeah okay uh spooky glow i don't think so
2: this time
3: uh there was a bit of a glow around the bones okay he looked paint.
2: inside the, yeah the, and saw the um yeah on his, on his face yeah I think okay that's... we'll give you that one. Oh, yeah um blood red eyes still doesn't count at the moment No, no, we're not in colour so until we get to colour we won't get that one, will we? Good blonde, bad brunette, so that's no good We have a good blonde but we don't have a bad brunette
3: Marianne Stone wasn't particularly bad she was just being a
2: secretary Yeah, you haven't tasted a coffee Um, (laughs) So Himbo, that was uh, a no, No. I didn't really have that one, and Barbara Shelley uh, no, she wasn't present so that's was it not four because did we not say Spooky Glow? Did we say that like, or not? Yeah,
4: yeah, I think that's four. Pitch no, Pitchfork, pitch
2: Villager, villager my Ripper, Mad Scientist and Spooky Glow.
1: No, we didn't say yeah. Mad Scientist, did we? Oh, yeah, uh, we said he was angry. Yes, we well, did. Well, it's, so, yeah. it's a push, but I don't know. No, we'll give you that because he wasn't happy. All right, then. So, yeah, wasn't, cool. happy. wasn't happy. He wasn't happy. He wasn't happy. Okay, Mark, you haven't got your card in front of you, my friend, so. I have, I
3: have, I can read them. Okay. Uh, my first one
1: is Spooky Coachman. Nah, no,
3: no, no. Sadly, okay. no, no. Barbara Shelley. No. Sadly, no. Mystery Monster. Well, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit of a shocker. Yeah. Uh, it was shocking in a few ways, actually, that final Shockingly one. Shockingly bad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Battle on a String. I think that almost qualifies, actually. That <laughs> final from Bat on a String. But no. Nah, well, no. Nah. <laughs> um, uh, James Bernard's score, Yes. Yes. Yep. Himbo. No. Uh, Inventive Crucifix. Not this time. Transform Terror. Mm, yeah, Depends indeed. what you mean. A blown wow. melted.
1: No, but yeah. I'm going to say it did because at the end, all the smaller aliens all morph together into great 150 foot massive ones.
3: That's right, they do. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, yeah, give you that one definitely. I know what you mean, though. I think with Stephen, when you d- devised these cards, you were thinking more sort of like Jekyll and Hyde sort of transformation or something.
2: Uh, it was a, b- a bit more, yeah, but um, we're, we're happy to be um, liberal on this. And well, also,
3: put the Transformed, right? When they got perfect.
1: the, perfect. There you go. the fights. Yeah, we'll give you definitely give you that. So is that three? three? Three. Yeah.
4: Three,
1: four. Mark. Okay, my card, card number three.
2: Plunging cleavage. Sadly. Oh well. Wow. Oh, I
1: think Vera Day makes a, a value Yeah. I would uh, say. She, yeah. That, she's very vivacious. I think
3: she's really good in this. Yeah. Uh, and plus she could dance and flash her legs about very nicely yeah, good too, old
1: Vera still so. with us 86 years old Vera Dice.
3: yeah oh, yeah a, she was there uh, lock
1: stock and yeah, two smoking
3: it. barrels is yeah. the most well, probably the most things more younger people yeah. from, right it's the card dealer groupier
1: yeah. in that, that's right yeah uh, deformed assistant
2: Brian falls becomes a bit deformed after, after saving. Been... I'm relying on you
1: two to give me the okay on that or not. Yeah, I would, I would
2: say yeah because he he does become yeah deformed. Even his mind becomes deformed because he gets uh, fine. He gets, uh, I like the home. way we interpret these. Yeah, we make the rules up as we go along. Lad, so. <laughs> oh God. If we were going to be strict about things, we would have. It'd be a completely different podcast. Um, it'd be listenable. It'd be I don't know. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, just the last thing this podcast. is
2: um Michael Ripper. Well, that's a that's a shoe in there, Michael Ripper. Yeah.
1: Thunder and lightning. Wasn't any, was there? No,
3: there wasn't any. No. Okay.
2: Spooky
1: glow. We said. Spooky glow. We've said Spooky yes on yes, like that one. So yeah. well, I've got good blonde, bad brunette, which is a no. Mystery monster. We've said yes to. Yeah. Yes. And... Oh, lads, that's a six. Okay. I, I got six. Stephen scored four, Mark scored three this week. So results I hate this guy. <laughs> At the moment in third place with eight points is Mark. But joint second or joint first, however you want to look it, with eleven is myself and Stephen.
2: Well, we have to be good oh, at wow. something. Oh, we have wow. to be good at something and been lucky. It's <laughs> obviously it. Um Right. What Mark doesn't realise is how much time we spent deliberately trying to to rig this so that <laughs> the order of the films that we did <laughs> would just disadvantage him. No. Uh, it took ages to work it out, well, rotating the cards and it's still fitting.
1: I'm going to rotate the cards round once. Okay, so without even looking at the category, you know the the subjects on the cards. By my reckoning, Stephen, you get card three next week. Mark okay. gets card one, and I get card two. Okay. Okay, I've made a note of that because we will forget between now and then. (laughs) So, Bob's full house of horror. (laughs) Okay, guys, let's start (laughs) wrapping this up because we've got to the point now where things are kicking off. Sid James has been shot. You know, Vera Days. That was lump...
3: horrible, wasn't it? I have to say, that was like,
1: Ugh. is it the only <laughs> example so of
2: Sid James dying on screen?
1: Did did he die in Carry On cowboys the Rumpo Kid? I can't remember.
2: Does he not die in Carry On the Cowboy? No, I don't. Does think... he? Don't... I
1: don't mm. remember dying in anything. Exactly. It might be one of those really bizarre. Like John Wayne only died in one or two movies, didn't he, or whatever. You know. Um,
2: do we think he played dying? well enough for them to ask him to do it again.
3: <laughs> well, well it, was be- it
1: was better than the American accent. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, and the drunkenness. And yeah. the drunkenness. So. As I say, Brian Levy had the- called the market on that in this movie, completely. Yeah, you know, things are really kicking off at this point because Vera Day's had a lump of rock land on her. Um, the whole of the, the-, the community... You hall notice was-
2: with Vera Day, though, that um, the other characters, when they get the... the- the blast into them from the the piece of rock and it, oh, it, it out part of their body. um <laughs> It tends to be on the face, but but coincidentally, it happened to be in the chest area for Miradear. <laughs> just just by, well, just by coincidence,
3: it. everyone else wasn't wearing a low cut dress, you know. Yeah, they only they, had if, their faces. <laughs>
2: if they had, it would have you know wouldn't have affected them in the same way because it would have gone over their shirt lapel or, or, or jacket or whatever. And I you know, um, whereas. It, it caught the face of the other people, but mysteriously missed her pretty face and went on to a different, yeah, the plunging cleavage. We didn't
1: yeah. mention didn't mention another death, did we? I mean, that was quite gruesome for the time. Broadheads, you know, when he gets covered in slime. Yeah, yes, and comes down. That the was brutal,
3: a bloke. Mm. Just saying, it's the food and it burns. It's like what what is going
1: on?
2: Yeah, yeah. well, Burning you've food. been in my local curry house. <laughs>
1: and then we get we get base under siege another typical doctor who plot towards the end don't we it's 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 a a pitched battle at the end because as we say we get pitchfork wielding construction workers who are totally oblivious as to what's going on you know and also uh, uh, talking of being oblivious to things quatermass himself is, is totally unaware that somebody has recreated his moon base in the English yeah. countryside. It's an exact replica almost, isn't it? The domes. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah.
3: And, and it bit... feels like it's just up the road, doesn't it? But <laughs> yeah. it's the way the film's cut. They actually mention at some point, oh, it's 90 miles away or 90 minutes away. I can't remember which. Uh, but it does feel like it's like over the next hill sometimes. Yeah, it's just popped out actually. and it's
1: just behind a hill somewhere and he's never spotted it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we could pick a thousand holes in this movie, but this was so enjoyable. You, you overlook you know, any of the scientific or the, the day-to-day sort of discrepancies that jump out of you on this, because I think this is still quite a lot of fun, this movie, um, especially as it gets into this second half, where it becomes like a pitched battle between the guards and the villagers trying to take over, and, you know, quite a mess has worked out that the environment that the creatures are being kept in which is like meat, a combination of methane and was it um, ammonia. And ammonia? wasn't it? Yeah, uh, you know, by injecting oxygen into it, um, we, we're going to kill these creatures. But it's you know, it's not going to stop them coming. So there's this meteorite on the dark. This was the bit that got me. The dark side of the earth. It, it, yeah, it, it, it cannot stay. in this was a scientific thing. It cannot stay in the dark side of the earth unless it's moving incredibly slowly or incredibly quick. I can't remember for it to stay hidden like that. But then surely it's visible to the people on the other side of the Earth? No, no, it's <laughs> the dark. other side of the Moon. It's the other side of the Moon. Is it the other side That's of the Moon? Because I thought he said the dark side of the Earth. I no, the Moon. The
3: as well, but... No, it's the Moon, it's the Moon. Ah, it's definitely right. the Moon. Okay, okay. Because that wouldn't work. So, but the, the, scientifically it's ridiculous that an asteroid <laughs> would sit on the other side of the Moon and not, and not move. That just doesn't pan well, at all. But yeah, you know,
1: eh obviously it's not fine. an asteroid anyway is it it's some sort of spaceship disguised as an asteroid because of the that's right yeah.
3: now that's much more expanded in the tv show but i'll come to all that when we get to the end of the film because i'll explain what how that on.
1: okay Unnecessarily well, After well let's, let's talk about the ending i mean i don't want to do too many spoilers but you know it really doesn't matter too much because the ending is different to the tv version incredibly different yeah, uh, this movie was made in the late fifties, so you know I don't think spoilers are an issue here. Mark, tell us about the ending and the differences between you know the BBC version and and you know your thoughts on that final part.
3: Well, they both have that kind of horrific moment before it all kicks off, which is they talk some people to come explain their situation, and then we find out they've they use the word human pulp. I think to, oh, to block the pipes yes. where they yeah. basically use the bodies of these people that have think they're going to be reasoned with, you know, and explained to, uh, to block the oxygen coming in, yeah. which enrages everyone, right? Yeah. Uh, and that kind of happened in the TV show too. So it was kind of grim. Yeah. But these guys just find convenient like rocket launchers and stuff and kick off and it, well, it's up in a few minutes, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> You start getting this build up from like the death of Sid James and Vera Day being hit by the rock, and it's like, all right, here we go, we're going to go for this massive, great sort of like finale. And it does, but then the action sort of takes place overnight, doesn't it? Because in the meantime, what's happening is that uh, William Franklin, who is Quatermass's assistant, has been ordered to send up one of the Quatermass rockets to destroy the asteroid, which is going to take you know a certain amount of time to happen. Brian Forbes reappears, zombified. The word "zombie" was used in this as well, guys. Wasn't yes,
3: it? yes, it was. It's what they called the um, the guards, right? Or
1: yeah.
3: the uh, because they wouldn't associate. The villagers didn't like them because they wouldn't talk to them. Like they thought they were better than them, but it's because they were being uh, controlled by aliens.
1: Yeah, um, not the first example of the word "zombie," obviously, but interesting that that was used in this context as well. Um, quite a gruesome death for William Franklin, you know, quite bloody. At first, you know, you don't see anything when the machine gun goes off, but as he's crawling across the floor, you know, there's the old blood spatters front and back of his shirt. It's a great sort of like 10, 15-minute sequence towards the end, isn't it? Fully action-packed. Um, yeah. Stephen, do you know how the ending was was different? Did you read up on this?
2: I mean, I know there was there was slight difference with regards to the, the, the rocket being sent up and that kind of thing. Right. Um but other than that, I'm I'm not completely all fair with what the difference was. So Do we know anybody who's who's an expert?
1: Luckily, <laughs> luckily we may have someone. I wish i hadn't said
3: that because I'm having trouble remembering. Doesn't, uh, doesn't quite. A mess. <laughs> do we know It's an experiment
2: then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't doesn't quite. Must go up in the rocket.
3: No, no. I think Pew does. Pew, uh, right. And there's a whole lengthy section about rocket detachment that's studied with models. That's quite appallingly bad actually Uh, (laughs) um uh, and so there's like this whole thing of we got a director rocket inside it and stuff like that if i remember rightly whereas in the in this movie they do it much better which is press a button and watch the rocket go up and then something explodes Right, directing
2: yeah. the rocket inside it was that also the continental version <laughs> no <laughs> um
3: so uh it, it, uh it almost feels like a tacked on extra episode in the tv show to in my opinion right. it really didn't need to be written that way um there's some other differences for example i think the character of marsh i think it was a different character was romantically involved with quote mass's daughter so there was that sort of frisson in the drama Uh, as well, Uh, well they just jetisered all that because it wasn't needed frankly, Uh, but yeah there's a whole extra 20 minutes of that, what was basically press a button, fire a rocket something explodes in the film Uh, which we
1: definitely didn't need in the film in my opinion. It's a wonderful ending that, (laughs) well there's this very (laughs) windswept ending to this they're ducking behind one of the jeeps and the jeeps being lifted up by the where's this wind coming from this blast of wind is it from
3: the, the dome exploding uh, or something i wasn't quite sure because the dome exploded which would have released all this ammonia yeah so there was a bit of put the gas mask. Mo- quite about says put the gas mask on quite rightly uh, to explain that but there's also these goofy rubber monsters sort of flailing about too which <laughs> i i never really liked this ending uh, for that reason because uh, I, I just didn't think the effects were all that
1: they're okay it's the first sort of not similarity, but the first sort of like hearkening back to the first one, which as I said was sort of dominated by that horror monster element to it. And up to mm. this point it has been the the conspiracy, the fear, the suspicion, you know, and and the, the monster side of the thing has taken a bit of a back seat up to this point.
3: It has. I mean those big things crushed up
1: I think the first one's a body horror
3: initially isn't yeah. it and then it becomes a, like it might destroy the earth through basically almost like a plague or you know it's not a plague but it's that kind of horror whereas this is more like a creeping uh paranoia piece which then precipitates into like these big monsters in a dome right um, and it t- it's just convenient the destruction of the rocket and the destruction of the big things on the ground seem to cure everyone that was infected like that the hive a, mind. Quite a, quite a much uses the word hive mind, doesn't he, uh and stuff like that. And he even says something like, "There's a hundred billion different organisms all working there." Like, so, how do you know that number? That's a big number, mate. It just come on. <laughs> um,
1: Reminded me anyway. a bit of the the thing as well, where each part was part of the same larger yeah. organism, as well, because it all, it all melds together at the end.
3: Yeah, it's a popular, popular trope with any of these pod people kind of yeah. stuff, but they all kinda of know what they're doing and know what each other's about uh, without talking about it kinda of
1: Can I just read you something that I found this morning? I mentioned the end and the wind effects that you know, as as the dome is being destroyed and you know, they're they're clinging onto this Jeep which is slowly being blown away and all this. Lot. Not a very easy scene to film. Listen to this guys. <laughs> Further problems arose during location filming for the final scenes at the South Downs near Brighton. As Val Guest explained, we'd gone to the Downs because they were supposed to be windswept, and they weren't. Consequently, aeroplane engines were hired to simulate the required hurricane. I had to arrange it so that in all the scenes, Don Levy faced the wind machines, or his toupee would have blown off. (laughs) That would have been amazing. Wait for it. We did it all very successfully until one take... A very difficult shot, where we had tried a couple of times. Finally I said, that's a beauty, cut. Don Levy said, oh great, now I can have a coffee. But he turned around and his toupee took off and floated around like a bat. The props, <laughs> men, <laughs> the props men were throwing rakes at it, trying to get it down <laughs> and save it.
3: <laughs> um, Hold on, let's get the bingo cards back out. I've got a bat on a string
4: of mine. <laughs>
2: Yeah, can we have that as a toupee on a
1: string? A <laughs> toupee on a string. Um, and, and while we're on the subject of Mr Donlevy, I know we've, we've made light of his, his alcoholism, which is quite a serious subject, guys, as we know, in in this article that I've just read that from as well. Much to Neil's dismay, Brian Donlevy resumed his portrayal of Professor Quatermass. He really was very drunk indeed. He used to take a liquid lunch up in the village, and when he got back, he'd sunk half a bottle of whiskey. They then had to tell him the name of the film, the name of the scene he was in, and then raise the idiot board so he could read off of it. Wow, you wouldn't know it, would you? Nope, I didn't think there was anything in his performance that would indicate anything like that at all.
3: Boy, yeah, talk Val about Guest does an alcoholic. Mm, yeah, wow. Val
2: Guest does dispute the the level of uh, of sort of um, incapability and, and intoxication. Yeah. Uh, it says, "Yes, he, you know, he was drunk, but it was functioning, and you know, he'd actually be trying to work, you know, as- actively trying to find out what the plot was leading up to the particular scene, rather than just reading lines." So, yeah, there's there's various rumours that were were spread about him, unfortunately. That I think, uh, you know, there's also a a rumor that he tr- tried to hit upon um, Brian Forbes, apparently.
1: Which
2: oh, he's a bit incongruous as well. Um, so I, so yeah, I there's it was there's rumours. He was well, married. This is, yes, he's he's you know he had a number of marriages and and children and stuff, and that doesn't always prove things. Don't. Yeah, it seems like there 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 was a certain amount of bad mouthing of of Don Levy, which might not have been completely a reflection of what actually happened. So drunk but not incapable i think is maybe a bit more true to the the reality of this and certainly it doesn't look like it in his performance i wouldn't say he don't come across as being incapable to to do his, you know his acting
1: no i mean there is a horror relationship in his marriage he was married to bella Lugosi's widow yes, yes. wow never worked for hammer again
3: weirdly the no. uh, ghosty was alcoholic and went on to even stronger stuff
1: uh, so that's yes. in- that's weird oh see it's, <laughs> we're finding all of these connections and links um did you know what the first when this was back in the day you know that movies went out as a double build Do you know what this was double build with uh
3: hmm. no <laughs>
1: see no, I thought I, yes. yeah see I thought it was going to be Curse of Frankenstein because they were both released in the same month it was and God Created Woman
3: that is so uncongruous and weird
1: Yep, that's the, such a weird pairing the Bridget Bardot movie um, double billed with God Created Woman on June the 17th so it might have been the first double bill it went out because this was released earlier in the year premiered earlier in the year but throughout the summer that's what it was being shown with that oh. is such a weird, you know,
3: <laughs> I, I don't see how anyone can think, let's put these two together. doesn't make any let's sense. That's like putting Malcolm X with Jason X. You know, it just doesn't work. <laughs> it's <laughs> weird.
1: But that's probably the answer. They're both X certificate.
3: <laughs> oh, right, okay. That
1: might be the reason it's two X certificated movies. Oh, I
2: love that Malcolm X <laughs> and Jason X.
3: i oh, I've got loads of those. You don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's that's one we never. Well, saw. You've got lots of that's, against, have you, that's 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 one we never saw on BBC Two in the eighties. Was it on a Saturday night that double billing? Kind of the <laughs> double billing. No. no, it's
2: the kind of double billing we would have done on, um, on, History of Misunderstanding just for the just for the laugh, <laughs> the stupidity yeah. of it.
1: Yeah. Final thoughts, Stephen, mate. I mean, first time watch really for the pair of us. How, how did you get on with this one?
2: Well, I, I think this was um, a good progression of the character and, and the story. Um, to some extent, uh, the, because of the, the where the plot is a bit more um, expansive and cerebral, um, it almost puts me in the mind of this not necessarily being a sequel, but that the um, mass experiment was actually a, a prequel, which might not sound like much of a different thing. But certainly, I, I feel like. That was a forerunner to this being the main, main job rather than it being a, a follow up. Um, not that I have you know, obviously enjoy uh, Quit Mass Experiments, so I'm not knocking it. But um, no, I think that this this does build upon it all, and it's not just a, a follow up. I think it's expansive and, and it is a, perhaps a rare example of, um, of a, a sequel or follow up film that does actually go somewhere and is worthwhile and, um, as an endeavour and, and improves the the whole storyline and uh, rather than just be tack on and cash in. So absolutely worthwhile, you know, investigating whether you, you've seen the Quatermass experiment or not, which I don't really understand why you, you wouldn't have done that first, but certainly it's, it's very much worthwhile as a watch, and um, has a lot to it, which you know is worthwhile to go back and re-watch. So I'd recommend people go go hunt it down to to give it their time.
1: Fantastic. Where, where does this sit for you in the whole Quatermass canon for you, Mark, being a a mess experiment as i referred well to earlier. i have to say i find it
3: really really difficult to sort of say this was the better one than that because they're free quite they they're, they're, all right they've got a common character dealing with sort of extraterrestrial or sort of otherworldly issues so in that sense they've got the same thing but each of the three deal with quite fundamental different horror um let's call them phobic points of pressure mm. uh, the first one's a body horror at heart, you know, your own body kind of is being transformed by something otherly and you've got no control of it. This one is about people in charge not serving our best interests and actually work actively. Whereas the third one, which I won't get into too much, but is essentially our very own DNA is our poison us, which is not quite the same as body horror. It's even more fundamental and horrible. uh This one I feel is structurally a slightly less. C- coherent storyline it's kind of rushed but I, I i don't think in a way that makes you feel like you know i wish i'd see more of this i feel like it feels its time really well it does rush certain elements um i really like it i think it's definitely the bleakest of the three in mm. terms of you know ignoble deaths and you know people getting shot sid james getting shot is awful yes. and the, the deleted team you mentioned would have made it even more so <laughs> and broadhead getting covered in ammonia and sort of Basically dying in front of someone, but yeah. knowing that, you know, at least saying "Don't touch me, it burns. It d- do not touch me." Um, um, and it's like humanity trying its best against this horrible thing. Um, I, I'm not a fan of the final rubbery monsters at all but uh i think it really it's a really punchy film it's got some flaws but um i think it was a great follow-up uh in my, many respects i see a bit like the you know the dollars trilogy the good the, uh the yeah. fistful of dollars a few dollars more and good bad New, ugly mm. those three are really great films the third one being the the greatest by far but they're all really kind of interesting uh the second one expands on the first yes. uh steven's sort of said and and the third one sort of goes a bit crazy actually <laughs> yeah, in many true. respects yeah. and and is even more expansive and sort of dealing with like you know the ancient past uh, affected now and all this that and um, where do i put it oh i probably the one i what's the least of the three but I still really really like this but I like all three Yeah, I I cannot they're like my children to me I cannot say that's my favourite <laughs> well I, even if I had a favourite I wouldn't tell you fair enough
1: <laughs> fair enough <laughs> you you're, you're, you're certainly right about the bleakness of this one and the ending uh, because even after all the monsters have been destroyed and they've retrieved on Levy's wig off screen or whatever Lomax sort of says how he's going to make a believable report on what's happened uh, and Quatermass just says he was going to question just how final that report will be because it's, you know this isn't the end, this is just the beginning, we've just scratched the surface here of a bigger mm. conspiracy. That's, that's the bit that I liked about this movie, it took that direction, it took it away from the body horror side and it became more of a you know, like a typical '50s Hollywood thing with the fear of nuclear war and all of that sort of stuff. You know, where we got the monster movies of like the giant insects and all that sort of stuff because of the, you know, the fear of nuclear fallout. And and you know, it's just this general underlying fear of technology and progress, and then the cover-up side of things as well made this a completely different beast to the first one. Um, and that's what I liked about it
3: yeah different beast but same mm. fundamental core right yeah. uh uh so it really worked well in yeah sense.
1: absolutely right okay then guys we're going to be back in five episodes time with the next in the series so let's take a break and we'll let everybody know what we're going to be watching Thank you. Again, guys, that was episode three of what we're calling Hammer Britannia. It's episode four next time. We're still in the same year, we think. You know, even though these movies were, you know, there's some confusion over the recording dates and the and the release dates. They were both released in the same month, which was in May 1957. We're entering what most people perceive as the beginning of Hammer Horror, but we have deliberately chosen to review these other three movies beforehand because there was... A definite shift in fortunes for Hammer up to this point. It's Christopher Lee, it's Peter Cushing, it's the Curse of Frankenstein, guys. Come on, this is the one. Mm. Yes, this is where it really kicks off.
2: This is where it becomes what people perceive as being Hammer Horror, absolutely.
1: I think so. I think so. And I'm really looking forward to this. But we're recording this in October. We're not going to get together till after the New Year, guys, to record this one, I take it, yeah?
2: Yeah, Yeah, Uh, that's right. Well, that's it. You need to have a bit of time off at Christmas, don't you? Do you know what? I'm still booking
3: stuff. Yeah, there's horror enough at Christmas without bringing this in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, funny enough, our Christmas movie is a Peter Cushing movie, Mark. Um, We're recording Cash on Demand, uh, which is the only reason being it's set on Christmas Eve, isn't it, Stephen? That's the only reason. It is, yeah.
2: (laughs) <laughs> thankfully it is because it's a great film i really like it yeah. um, and thankfully it's set in just the right time of year for us to be able to chew on it oh you know what i've never
3: seen it i might watch it so when i listen to you guys i'll know what you're talking about fantastic
1: that'll be good because we won't know what we're talking about <laughs> Stephen watched the wrong film it's fine yeah so that's real britannia that's hammer britannia thanks to mark for being here for this particular episode sir
3: yeah, no worries. Thank you very much. It, it's been a real pleasure. I love talking about Mass,
1: as you know. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> and if anybody wants to listen uh, to your other podcast, it's The Good,
3: The Bad and The Odd. The Good, The Bad and The Odd. Come listen to us. Yes, yes. Uh, we're on show 773 or 4 now. It's so Friday. we've got a fair That's few. F- we just finished an entire Bond run. With no time to die, Thanks. so we're going to have a, a wrap-up show, which I'm trying to save for episode 70, seventy-seven-seven-seven. It just seems appropriate <laughs> for James Bond. Uh, so we're going to be like talking about uh, favourite henchmen and you know best oh, villain, worst villain, cool. worst film best, film, best film, best scene, best music, all that, all that. We'll really. it will come. It'll probably be like a two-hour show actually. Yeah, I but we'll see. Yeah. Uh,
1: so we got that coming soon. Fantastic, Stephen. Thank you, as always, my friend. Yeah, it's
2: always a pleasure. Hopefully, yeah. Uh... You know, we'll be able to record remark again soon in the new year absolutely that's a pleasure
1: too absolutely guys this has been Real Britannia this has been Hammer Britannia thanks very much I'll see you all soon Right.
4: take care Sha
0: well, but
3: goodbye
2: good luck thank you
0: your up, sir.
4: I'm sick of pains. <laughs>